Yosef Bultova prepared his death with the utmost care. For the camp authorities to find out would mean hardship even greater than that which he was committing suicide to avoid. It had taken him a long time to reach his decision, because he was a survivor. Certainly he had begun his imprisonment as such. On the train of prison cages taking him to the labor camp complex at Potma, 230 miles from Moscow, he had sold his expensive Zurich-purchased wristwatch for just two rubles. And then he had blackmailed the incriminated soldier into buying fifty kopeck bags of tea for prisoners to boil, complete, in minuscule amounts of water to make a near-narcotic mixture of tannin with which they washed out their surroundings in just thirty minutes of blissful intoxication. Each bag sold for one ruble, so within six months he was rich by the standards of the camp. But gradually the realization had enveloped him, insidiously, like the consumptive mist which always clung to the camp. No limit had been imposed upon his sentence, or on the exile to follow, and slowly Yosef accepted he would spend the rest of his life on a starvation diet of cabbage soup and sour fish, horsewhipped to drag a brick truck from loading point to delivery bay in a perpetual mind-numbing circle. So he decided to die. The camp commandant was harsh on suicides. As an example to others, anyone interrupted was punished to the point of the death they sought before being carefully coaxed back not to life, but to bare existence. From the moment of discovery, the would-be suicide was marked by a specially striped uniform, as in the Nazi concentration camps at Dachau or Bergen-Belsen, and they were subjected to the grossest humiliations. Cleaning quarters where prisoners lived like animals, eating food that even the prisoners had rejected as inedible, becoming pathetic male prostitutes in a camp that had forgotten women. So Yosef was cautious, planning his act meticulously, telling no one. His tame guard, to whom he paid twelve rubles for the thin rope, may have guessed, but his knowledge involved him. And Yosef never let the man forget he could become a prisoner in his own camp if the authorities discovered their association. It was a Sunday night, exactly seven years after his sentence, when he made the attempt. He stood on the lavatory stall, the rope looped around a rafter, and stayed for several minutes trying to inhale courage with each breath. Finally he fitted the noose around his neck and lowered himself gently until his legs swung just above the floor. As soon as the rope tightened and he began to choke, he panicked. He groped out for support and twisted wildly until his feet regained the stall. Back on the bare shelf upon which he slept, Yosef twitched with fear, weeping at his own cowardice. Tomorrow, he would definitely do it the following day. Early in the morning, the guards came, shouting for him by name. Yosef stood mute. An informer had witnessed the attempt and exposed him, he decided. Or perhaps the guard had talked. Yosef Ivanovich Bultova! Yosef nodded. Why his name? Usually it was just the number. Seems you're a lucky man. Lucky? Just one word was difficult. He kept his head down in case the twine had burned his throat. Someone has decided it's not a crime after all to have so many friends in the vest. They're setting you free, with a pardon. Yosef Boltova bequeathed the rope to the man next to him in the barrack block, the only friend he had made in the camp. His name was Asher Medev. He was a Jew who had tried to hijack a plane to get out of the country, consumed with the thought of getting to Israel. Often, Yosef wondered what had happened to Medhev.